You know, my parents used to ask me, and I'm sure that uh, I've asked my kids this, and it's probably been true for every generation, this question gets asked of children. After they receive a gift or a favor for someone, the parents will say, they prompt the kids by saying, what do you say? And the response is, thank you. My dad would drop us off at Jack Horner's Barbershop on Palmer Square in Princeton, New Jersey, and my brother and I would be in there, and then dad would go and do whatever he was doing. And then he'd come back to pick us up, and he'd come, come back in, and we'd have our haircuts, and he'd say, what do you say to Mr. Horner? Now, that really wasn't a question. <laughs> you know. And he would have been surprised if I said something like this. Mr. Horner, what in the name of heaven were you thinking? You should not be allowed to cut your child's hair. You know, <laughs> you should be put away. <laughs> you know. But I gave the mechanical kid response. Thank you, Mr. Horner. My dad would have also been surprised if I had said, Mr. Horner, you are the Michelangelo of barbers. <laughs> In the name of children everywhere, I salute you, you know. Now listen, our hope is that our parents or our children won't just parrot our words. We really hope that someday they will have grateful hearts and that they will become grateful people. In Hebrews 12, 28, the author writes, and I, I love it in the New Living Testament, he says, since we have a kingdom that nothing can destroy, let us please God by serving him with thankful hearts. The NIV puts it like this, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. So it's pretty obvious that gratitude pleases God. You know, you, you parents know what it's like when on Christmas Day or when there's a birthday party or some special gift is given. All you need is, is a thank you. You know, Dad, I've always wanted one of these. I've got a daughter who can over-dramatize things. And, or, thanks, Mom, I really, really, really like it. And you know how your heart just gets warmed and, and you're pleased about that. And I think that we delight the Heavenly Father when we have gratitude in our hearts for what he's done for us. And I believe that gratitude can really be a key to our personal happiness. If I were to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? And if you're anything but a 9 or 10, you probably would go on to explain that there are some circumstances that are going on in your life right now that are not exactly ideal. You've had family problems, perhaps there's stress at the job, perhaps you have a college tuition payment coming up in a couple of weeks <laughs> that you can't afford, and you think, I would be happier, but these circumstances have just taken the joy out of my life. See, we think that our happiness is directly related to our circumstances. And certainly, circumstances play a part in it. But I could make you happy in your present circumstances, no matter what they are, in 24 hours. But it would be a brutal 24 hours. I would call a lawyer, and I'd have him call you and tell you that you're being sued and you're in danger of losing every dime that you have. And then I'd call your doctor, and I'd have him call you and tell you that the latest tests show that you have a terminal disease and you may just have a matter of weeks to live. And then I'd call one of your trusted friends and I'd tell them, tell him to call you and tell you that two of your closest friends, the people that you love the most, have just been killed in an auto accident. And, and then I'd have some respected theologian that you know, Nate Feldmuth, email you an article that he's just written revising his opinion that the Bible is not true and that he doesn't really believe there's any hope of life eternal. And then after a 24-hour period of misery, 
I would call and say it's all a hoax. You have your wealth. You have your friends. You have your health. You have your hope in Christ. And after you took a deep breath and maybe chewed me out, you would probably be cheerfully happy in exactly the circumstances you're in right now. Because happiness isn't so much to do with, or it has a lot more to do with attitude. Probably the primary reason I want to focus on thankfulness this morning, obviously it's Thanksgiving week, is that gratitude, I believe, is the first line of defense against Satan's attack. Gratitude is really a spiritual preemptive in the life of a believer. A.W. Chozier one time made this statement, no man suddenly goes corrupt. What he meant by that is that when you're walking intimately with God day by day, then you don't just suddenly fall off the edge of a cliff and fall into the depths of sinful ruin. It's a gradual erosion of values. It's a slow spiritual slippage that takes place. And the first Virtue that slips is gratitude. Ingratitude is a gateway to sin. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul builds a whole case about the downward spiral of culture. And at the bottom of the spiral, he says, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so God gives them over to their sinful desires and passions. But look what it says in Romans 1.21, because it describes how that whole decline started. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so the spiritual decline begins with the failure to be grateful. And I'll tell you quite honestly, my problem as a leader, if I'm not careful, is I can spend a significant amount of time focusing on the things that are need fixing at water's edge. One lady came up and she said, you know, Bill, we got a problem. I said, well, what are you talking about? I know about a hundred, you know. But pretty soon I focus on those things and I, I lose perspective and I start to get discouraged and I begin to grumble. And I need to step back and I need to see the big picture. I need to be grateful for what God has given us. And that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so this is the defense against Satan's attacks. Maybe that's why G.K. Chesterton said, gratitude is the mother of all virtues. And so with this in mind as kind of a preamble to what I want to talk to, I have a text for us today, and it's from Luke chapter 17. So if you'd follow along in your study notes, starting at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men had leprosy, who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus says, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. 
uh, many commentaries that I read on this think that Jesus is saying, <laughs> you're in. <laughs> but, but wouldn't you love to conduct an on-the-street interview with those other nine guys? Wouldn't you love to just run up and say, hey, can I ask you why you didn't go back? Bob Russell, who wrote a book called When God Builds a Church, has a few ideas about what these responses would be. And I just want to share them with you. One might say, well, I went and I showed myself to the priest because that's what he told me to do. And by the way, legalists are usually the most ungrateful people. They're the people who live by the rules. I did what he told me to do. Another said, I went back and I showed myself to my family. I mean, my family comes first in my life, and they've been through a lot. Another said, of course I'm grateful, but I didn't know he expected me to go back and express thanks. I mean, he does that for a living, doesn't he? <laughs> or maybe one would say, well, I got better, but I really think it was a coincidence. You know, I've been taking these herbs that are supposed to cure leprosy, and I think it's just a coincidence that my cure happened just after he said that. And I'm sure one would say, well, I'm glad I'm healed, but to be honest with you, I'm not so sure it's to my advantage. Before, all I had to do was just sit and beg, and now I've got to go out and get a job. Or, I'm glad to be cured of leprosy, but I'm not really pleased with the way I look. I mean, I've had leprosy for 10 years, and now I look 10 years older. If he really cured me, wouldn't he have made me look younger too? He could have done more. You know, by the way, people with a victim's mentality usually aren't very grateful. Another might say, oh, I'm glad to be cured of leprosy, but how can I be grateful? I mean, it would be unkind for me to clap and rejoice when there are so many other lepers out there who haven't been cleansed yet. How can I be thankful and happy when there's so much suffering in the world? Or how about, and this would probably be mine, I intended to go back and give them thanks. I just haven't gotten around to it. I mean, we've been so busy since we've been cured. There have been these newspaper interviews, and later today we're posing for a Got Milk commercial. We've just got a lot to do, you know. But perhaps one would say, I'm a little bit afraid about going back. I hear this Jesus can be very demanding. He required one person to give up everything he had to follow him, and I'm not sure that I'm ready for that. <coughs> Only one in ten returned. And that might be better than you would expect today. Anybody here a school teacher? Okay, just wonder how many people have come back after they've gone through college and gotten established in life, and they said, I just want to thank you for what you've meant in my life. I think one in ten would probably be pretty good. Or ask the people on the worship team, how often after church do people come up and say thanks? That one song... That one line just really was meaningful to me today. One in ten? Not by a long shot. How about parents? How many mornings do your kids get ready to go to school or they're sitting at the breakfast table and they say, Mom, the t-shirts are all folded and my socks are in the drawer. I just want to thank you for doing the laundry. Can we get a one out of ten? <laughs> William Barclay, who's written... A, commentaries in the New Testament, which I probably look at, I, I look at several commentaries whenever I'm preparing a message, but I always look at William Barclay. And here's his comment. So often, once a man gets what he wants, he never comes back. 
When he gets what he wants, he never comes back. Now, why is that? Why do we have to admit that we're really not a very grateful people? I mean, here we are living in the most affluent nation in the history of the world. We're so blessed, and yet we find ourselves grumbling and complaining and not very grateful. What's the explanation? Well, I think one is, is that we've had a privileged upbringing. Many of us in here were spoiled rotten as children. And I'll raise my hand to that. Our parents or our grandparents gave us almost everything we wanted, and we were so protected and so pampered that we have unrealistic expectations about life. Anytime life is less than 100%, we tend to focus on the negative and we miss the positive. A few years ago, my former church in Wheaton, Illinois, and I know you'll laugh, Marilyn, we had the best Easter service that we'd ever had. It was incredible. I mean, it was one of the most glorious days of my whole life, that particular Easter service. And as soon as it was over, this older woman came up to me and she said, you know, Bill, I've been going to Easter service ever since I was a child. And you know what I immediately thought? She's going to tell me this was the best Easter service she's ever been to. She said, you know, this is the first time I've ever been in an Easter service that we didn't sing Christ the Lord is risen today. Why is it that everything can be so wonderful, but 1% isn't quite like we wanted it, and that's the thing we focus on? Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And so if you don't have a realistic expectation about life, if you wait until everything in your life is exactly as you want it to be before you can be happy and grateful, I can tell you this, you're going to live your whole life and never be happy and never be grateful. I think affluence probably contributes to our gratitude. And I think it's something that those of us in in this section of, of town have to be very conscious of. If you've got a cable TV with 150 channels on it, wouldn't it be hard to go back to three major stations in black and white? If you've driven a Jaguar, isn't it going to be hard to be content driving a Hyundai? If you've stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, it's going to be really hard to stay at Motel 6. Proverbs 38 and 9, a wise king prayed this. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Grandma Dixie says it's a rare person when the cup is overflowing can give God thanks rather than complaining about the size of the cup. I'll tell you something else that contributes to our gratitude or ingratitude. I think it's negative companions. Proverbs 30, 20 says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And if your closest associates are grateful people, chances are you are going to become a positive, grateful person. But if your closest associates are negative, critical people, I think soon you'll start copying them. Complainers like birds of a feather that gather together tend to just gravitate to each other. They exaggerate their problems and they contaminate others. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. So no matter how fulfilling your job or how large your house is or how pleasant your spouse is or how edifying your church is, if you run around with people who are always criticizing and finding fault, you're going to probably end up being a grumpy old man or a grumpy old woman. 
I once heard somebody say, you show me your friends and I will show you your future. But the one contributing factor I think that's far above most is this, is that we compare ourselves to others. Remember Jesus' parable about the workers who worked in the vineyard and the guy says, if you work for me for a day, I will pay you a day's wage. And then he got some workers hired in the middle of the day and he paid those half-day workers the exact same amount that he paid the all-day workers. And what did the guys who were working all day day do? They complained and they grumbled. It's not fair. And he says, wait a second, did we agree on a day's wage? Yes. Did I pay you? Yes. So what they're grumbling about is the generosity, not the stinginess of 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 the vineyard owner. And so I think that uh, that that is a contributing factor that we com- that we complain sometimes about the inequality of things. It's it's interesting to me that that uh, uh, when you compare yourself to other people's circumstances, it's very easy to become a thankless person. And by the way, I can easily fall into that trap. No matter how good your kids are, there's always somebody else's kids who are smarter and more athletic. No matter how good your church is, there's always some church that seems deeper and the congregation seems more responsive. (laughs) No matter how romantic your mate is, there's somebody else who looks good to you. And that's why Paul says in Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So how can you become more grateful? How can you, like the one Samaritan who who distanced himself from his ungrateful buddies, what can we do to acknowledge uh, or to develop this gratitude in our our lives? I think the first thing we do is we can acknowledge that everything that we have comes from God. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, all who live in it. You know, nothing that you have is, is really yours. It belongs to God. He just loans it to you for a temporary time. And by the way, you've all heard that in stewardship messages and, you know, it's, it's got, everything belongs to the Lord and, and everything you have been given to you, it's on loan and, and uh, until you begin to appreciate the little things. I, I had a funeral several years ago of a really good friend of mine, um, Sarah Perry. We, we went through her whole cancer and right unto her death. It took a, almost a year from the time she was diagnosed. She left behind a college-age son, a college-age daughter, and a teenage daughter, and a grieving husband who was one of my closest friends. And I thought if I was in their shoes, I can remember Kathy and I lying in bed talking about how we'd really be tempted to be bitter against God. Something that they said really helped them, and maybe it'll help you as an imaginary illustration. Let's say you have a very wealthy friend who says to you, I've got to go overseas on business And I don't know whether I'm going to be gone for four weeks or four years, but I need somebody who can come live on my estate. Would you be willing, free of charge, to just watch over my place? You can use my swimming pool. You can use my entertainment center. You can drive my BMW. You can use my boat. You can have your friends in. Just have a good time, but I just need somebody to be there. Well, I think you'd jump at the chance. Now, let's say that you had a great time, but then two years later, you get an email from him, and he says he's coming back in two weeks. How dare you come back in two weeks? Would you meet him that way at the the airport with a clenched fist? No, you'd be so thankful for the privilege he had of living there for two years. 
Now listen, we don't own anything, but God gives us the privilege of living in this world. He just doesn't guarantee how long. But he goes one step further and he says, now not only with that, when it's over, I'm going to give you even a finer estate. So put your trust in me. And friends, I think we should be grateful just for the honor of living every day. Regardless of what the circumstances are and regardless of what the length of time is. That's why Paul says in Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I think something else that we could do to increase our gratitude is to visit and minister to people who have less than we have. You know, one of the reasons that we're not grateful is we're always comparing ourselves with people who we think are better. And, and one of the ways I think we can increase our sense of appreciation is to be around people who don't have it all together. Now, obviously, being with people who excel can lift our vision and challenge us. And I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. You know, the, when the water rises in the harbor, all the boats come up as well. But exposure to people who have struggled can deepen your appreciation and humble you. If you're not very grateful today, go on a short-term mission trip. Go to the Compton Initiative. Go with Mark Macedo in a couple weeks with City Sound down to the LA Mission. Do any of those kinds of things and you'll come away affirming and thanking God that you are so blessed. A third way we can increase gratitude is to avoid grumbling and complaining like the plague. The Bible makes it really clear that God is pleased with our thanksgiving and praise. But the Bible also makes it clear that grumbling and griping annoy God. And that's to put it mildly. In fact, Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Now think about how many times you violated that command. We're experts in complaining. We do it so often we don't even think about it. And constant complaining is an offense to God. It's a poor testimony to the loss, and it ultimately is a deterrent to your personality. The alternative to a life of gratitude is another kind of life, and that is a shriveled heart that is full of complaining and judgmentalism and dissatisfaction and discontent. This is a heart of a person who has a demanding spirit instead of a, a sense of awe and wonder. Ingratitude makes your heart go smaller and harder and colder day after day. And I'll tell you, it's a miserable way to live. The thing about gratitude is you can't force yourself to feel gratitude. I don't know about you, but gratitude involves a way of seeing things, of perceiving things, of understanding feelings that are in the heart. You can't just flip a switch and make yourself grateful. But I believe that you really can cultivate a heart of gratitude. Mark Cholesky is a pastor. He's a recovering fundamentalist. He's a tea drinker, a motorcycle rider, and he bangs the drum for Inside Out Living in a, in a weekly blog that I read. He suggests the first step to a heart of gratitude is learning to be grateful with imperfect gifts. You know, in this world, that's the only kind of gift you're gonna get. If you're married and your spouse is with you this morning, you are sitting next to an imperfect gift. But don't get cocky, because so, so are they. You know. And if you wait to praise your kids until their room is clean, you will never praise them at all. Your body is a gift. 
And we go through life thinking if my body were different or if it was perfect, if I had somebody else's body, then I would be grateful. The truth is that we normally don't see that your body may not be perfect, but it is a very good thing and it's a lot better than not having one. Flawed as it may be, I have to learn to be grateful for my body, for my home, for my friends, for my work, for my mind, for my life. And if I wait for perfect gifts, I will never be grateful at all. I think a way to open yourself to gratitude is also to express it, even when you don't feel it. There's just something about the way that God made us that when we, get, we begin to express gratitude, very often we start to feel it. I read an article years ago about the New York fire, uh, firemen, and I guess they're trained in psychology. This lady was on the ledge waiting to jump. She's standing you know, on this ledge in New York City, and the, and the fireman leaned out and he said, I'm sorry that your children don't love you. He says, oh, no, 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 my children love me. He says, oh, then I'm sorry your grandchildren don't love you. And he starts this whole thing of getting her to recount some of the, the, the positive things in her life. She ended up opening her purse on the ledge and showing him pictures of her grandchildren. <laughs> and 20 minutes later, when she's inside the building, she had a hard time remembering why she was going to jump. Sincere words of gratitude have enormous power. You know, people, I have a file consisting of notes that people sent to me. People have written things to say, I appreciate something that you've said or done, or I'm praying for you, or I'm for you. And, I, and when I get notes like that, uh, you know, I have this little file, I keep them. And now I get other notes that usually don't say those kinds of things. And although it's important to get those notes and to respond to them, those notes don't make it into my file. <laughs> And these are words of thanks, and sometimes I read them, and they are so life-giving to me. Do you know how powerful words can be when you thank somebody, when you thank people? Maybe you need to speak those words to somebody in your life this week. Maybe it's to a friend. Maybe it's to a parent who needs to hear them, even with a collect call. Your parents probably got a lot wrong, and maybe your relationship has a lot of pain that's attached to it, and there needs to be some things resolved, but there can be authentic gratitude that is expressed. Maybe they're no longer around. Some of you have a mom or a dad who got stuff right, and you just need to, they just need to hear you say it. Something will happen inside of your heart when you say it. Maybe it's a coach or a neighbor who believed in you, who breathed life into you, who had dreams for you and cheered you on and comforted you when you needed that. Maybe it's somebody in this room. And after the service is over, you just need to go over and give them a hug. We open ourselves to gratitude when we express it openly and often even if we don't feel it yet. And then finally, I agree with Mark Schlesky that you open your heart to gratitude when you devote yourself to worshiping God. This theme of giving thanks to God runs all through the Bible. Let us enter his gates, meaning into his presence, with thanksgiving in our hearts. And some of you are seeking God and you're here, you're in the right place. This is an opportunity for you to learn a little more about God here. But we also gather here not only to learn, but also to have a time of worship in order to say thanks to God. And the reason that we gather here on Sundays is to do what the one leper did. We run to God and we praise him and we say thank you. 
And if you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to ask you, is that your heart this morning? I'd like to ask you this week, Thanksgiving week, to assess your own heart. Ask yourself, if I'm the one who runs to God and says, thank you because you've given me gift after gift after gift, or would you have to say, I'm one of those nine who just keeps walking down the road and I take things for granted? Perhaps what you need to do is what Dallas Willard calls the discipline of noticing. So many things are gifts that we often don't see because ingratitude gives us a moral blindness. It blinds us to the goodness of being alive. It blinds us to the beauty of creation. It blinds us to friends. And it even blinds us to to the joy of work, the fact that life is good. I heard about a woman who... All she used to do is gripe and complain all the time. She especially criticized her husband. She was on his case all the time, but one day she became a Christian and she got baptized. Afterwards, though, she still griped and complained and criticized her husband. And so later he said to a friend, I don't mind her getting born again, but why did she have to come back as herself? (laughs) The Bible says this, if anybody is in Christ, they're a brand new creation. And that includes attitude. And I hope this Thanksgiving that you'll allow Jesus Christ to genuinely transform your spirit as you express gratitude by the way that you worship, by the way that you give, and by the way that you obey. And when you praise God for his blessings, I think thank therapy will change your attitude and make you a more grateful and gracious person. The psalmist wrote this, Psalm 30. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and you clothe me with joy. That my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Let's pray. And Heavenly Father, may we be like the Samaritans so that when we receive your blessings... We'll take time to express our gratitude and to give thanks. You've given us so much, Lord. Would you give us one more blessing today? Give us grateful hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.